You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. I am Supergirl. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Storybrooke. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. Welcome to Storybrook Weekly Mirror in Hyperion Heights, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, October 23rd, 2017, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the ABC series, Once Upon a Time. Please welcome my co-hosts. Happy Onceiversary to everybody. Let's start off with Katie. Hi, guys. Excited to be here tonight. Happy anniversary to Once Upon a Time. It's been, I can't believe it's been this long, but I'm, I'm really happy that it's still airing this many years later. Next up, Jenna Pace. Hi, everyone, and happy Onceiversary. Oh, my God. I may not have been here since the beginning, but I am so glad to be here now. And we are delighted to have you, Jenna. And we have a brand new co-host. Please welcome on the Onceiversary, Heather Bishop. Hey guys, what's up? I'm so excited to be here for the Onceiversary. First episode, this is going to be great. And it should also be of note that today is also Emma Swan's birthday. Happy birthday to Emma Swan from all of us here at Storybook Weekly Mirror. Right, guys? Aw, yes. Happy birthday to my fave. I hope you have a cupcake as big as your big family. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even top that. Just happy birthday. (laughs) I love it. All right, everyone. Let's jump into our recap of Season 7, Episode 3, which was titled The Garden of Forking Paths and aired... October 20th, 2017. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. When Cinderella finds herself staring danger in the eye, she receives help from an unlikely source. Her rescue leads to an alliance that could aid in the defeat of Lady Tremaine's rule and reveals a dark secret from Cinderella's past. In Hyperion Heights, Jacinda goes to extreme measures to stop Victoria Belfry from destroying Lucy's beloved community garden, while Lucy tries to convince Henry that Victoria is after more than just a plot of land. Meanwhile, Victoria makes a discovery that could alter everyone's fate. 
Alright, let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 3. ABC's Once Upon a Time drew 2.52 million total viewers with 8.5 demo rating. It dipped to its second smallest audience ever while slipping two-tenths to an all-time demo low. Alright, I want to get everyone's initial reaction to the episode. Let's start off with... Katie. Okay. Well, I thought this was a fun episode. I honestly don't think it was my favorite out of the three we've gotten so far. Um, I can't really pinpoint what exactly it was. Maybe it felt like it was there was a lot going on. Uh, maybe it was a little fast-paced for me. Um, but I did really appreciate that we got to finally see... Um, some more of Tiana and to see her in the Enchanted Forest specifically, or sorry, the Magical Forest specifically. Um, I still really love her character and the fact that we got to see even just a little bit more of her was fun. And of course we got some really big revelations in the episode, which um, kind of kicked off more of the mystery that's going to be surrounding what's coming up in the next batch of episodes so that was kind of interesting um it was things that i was not expecting um things that i hadn't predicted or theorized so that's always appreciated when they can kind of turn us viewers on our heads and we don't know what's coming so i did appreciate that but i mean i feel like it was a very plot heavy episode and there was a lot going on so it was kind of it kind of left me reeling a few a few times but otherwise it was it was still pretty good i enjoyed it jenna what about you i really liked it i thought it was a pretty solid episode um i i really liked in the um, magical forest flashbacks seeing jacinda start like well uh, see her interact more with henry and regina and seeing that a had that have an effect on her and I liked and I really liked seeing Jacinda's character in Hyperion Heights as well like it felt like it was a really good solid stand on its own story um I think the I think the subplots were pretty interesting too and it left a lot of intrigue all right what about you Heather I don't know I kind of have to agree with Katie this, uh, it hasn't been my favorite episode so far this season, um, especially when it got started. But I think the more that I watched it and the further we got into it, the more excited I got about the episode, especially with the, the revelation there at the end. I, I don't know. There were parts that I really, really liked within the episode and that I'm excited to see develop a little bit further. But there were, I don't know, it just, it did feel very plot heavy. I don't know. That's that's the best example, I, uh, the best word I, way I can say that. All right. I thought it was a decent episode. I didn't mind the plot heaviness just because I feel like we haven't gotten that much information about like Lady Tremaine and uh, what she's trying to do. So I actually found all of that really interesting. I loved uh, seeing more of Tiana, so I can echo that uh, 100%. It was great to see her in the Magical Forest. And I'm really invested in what's going on in Hyperion Heights. So all of that was really fascinating. And then uh, that at the end, that final scene, which we will be discussing 
way later in the podcast. I, I like can't wait to talk about that because that was um, intriguing, surprising. Um, I don't know. It was just fantastic, and uh, I don't want to start talking about it because I could get into a full conversation about that in and of itself. So uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of Once Upon a Time, here's our announcer to. Uh, Here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash PoppyChuloRadio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it. Quick shout-out to the opening title card, which featured an excavator in uh, the uh, forest slash Seattle scape. There you go. So let's start off in the past, in the magical forest, and we pick up where we left off, uh, uh, sort of, in uh, the first episode, where we see Cinderella driving to the portal where she is supposed to meet Henry, so she actually did show up, except Cinderella runs into one of the guards, and she's attacked by actually two guards, and while she defends herself from one, she's about to get caught by the other, but, uh, Princess Tiana shows up just in time to save her, and she introduces herself as the leader of a resistance group that's against Lady Tremaine and the royal family that are planning to, I guess, take over the entire kingdom, basically. And so they end up uh, creating an alliance, 
and uh, you know they decide to help each other and uh, Tiana informs Cinderella that it was Lady Tremaine that set up the plot to have her father killed and that yes the prince was involved which is why Tremaine killed him so Tiana knows that Tremaine killed the prince that it wasn't Cinderella and so Cinderella agrees to join Tiana and she also leaves behind her glass slipper so that Henry can find it. And then the next day, Tiana tells Cinderella that Lady Tremaine has been moving stuff into her manor, a lot of magical items from the palace into her home. And she also moved in this... Uh, box that they have no idea what's inside of it cinderella looks at the drawing of the box you can tell she um recognizes it but she doesn't say anything about it and that day they are joined by henry wishhook and regina and uh, tiana believes that regina can be an asset to the resistance because she knows how to use magic so let's pause right here and let's break all of this down. Let's talk about Cinderella meeting Tiana. Let's talk about all of the information that Tiana gave Cinderella about what's going on and the power dynamic in the magical forest. And uh, let's talk about Henry, Hook, and Regina joining the resistance. Let's start off with Jenna. Okay, so... I thought the opening scene was really cool. Um, I liked seeing Tiana come in and just kick some butt. And then she and Cinderella form this really good friendship. It feels very natural despite the fact and it, despite the fact that it's kind of like heat in the moment, but it's kind of like those situations form really good friendships. Um, the resistance camp is a really cool set and I like that and I hope we get to see like more of that in future episodes. Maybe it kind of becomes the magical forest equivalent of grannies and a sort it's their home base it's where they concoct their plans and such so we're not as much on the run as we we have our base and we're chilling there and we're figuring out what to do so it kind of almost feels a little bit more real in a sense um i when i first saw the guy who gave cinderella his cinderella the boots i was convinced he was evil and i was watching with a friend and it was like yeah, he's going to end up being evil, and I'm not going to go into what eventually happens, but it's just really funny in hindsight to think about that, because he's like, he got such an inordinate amount of screen time for just the guy who gives her the boots. Um, I really like seeing um, Wish Hook, Regina, and Henry appear. Um, it was pretty funny with the whole, uh, with, with like the whole explaining Wish Hook's relationship. It was like a really small, blinking, you'll miss it line, but... I just thought it was pretty funny, like a nod to, yeah, this is a little weird. This is what we're going for, and we're just going to have some fun with it. So I thought it was, so I really enjoyed that part. Heather, what about you? I don't know. I really liked um, the scene where they get to the uh, resistance camp. That was probably one of my favorite scenes because, number one, like, I want a huge shout out to Eduardo Castro because... I love his costuming, and seeing Cinderella finally in her, um, I, I always call them like their bandit outfits, 
her and Tiana finally in their little pantsuit. It looked fantastic. I love the colors that they used with them and with Regina, keeping in line with what they've done in the past on that. I loved that. It was fantastic. Um, well, actually, I think, and, and Katie, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, I think Eduardo left, didn't he? He did leave. He's not doing Jeez. season seven. Yeah, I think oh, the costumer is different. Isn't that surprising? So, I did not even realize that. I think, and I, I was going to kind of comment on this too, so I think your um, comment really speaks to, and I, I should probably find the name of the new costumer, but it speaks <laughs> to their, it speaks to their um, level of expertise because it, fe- it feels like they're following very closely to what Eduardo has said yeah, in the past. I 100% so, agree. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to mistake that, but uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was surprising when I read about it over the summer that he was I think leaving. It's budget cuts. Yeah, of course, but um, wow. uh, this new person's doing a fantastic job. I, I agree. Hearing that the new guy is the new guy worked on Star Trek or something, so I'm not too surprised. Well, there okay. you go. All nice. right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Heather, apologies for the interruption, but you may continue. Oh yeah, no worries. Um, but anyway, uh, I. I also, I had a similar reaction to Jenna with the Boots guy, because I totally thought he was going to come back and be some kind of little spy for Lady Tremaine or something like that. I was I was convinced he was going to be somebody bad, and then to end up as the person he was, I guess, was a bit surprising. Um, and I wanted to say that I really love the relationship that's beginning to kind of form between Cinderella and Regina, just because it really does kind of speak back to something similar to what she could have had with Snow White and what she ended up having with Snow White. But I like that dynamic that they're bringing into the, the new reboot, reset. Because uh, it, it feels like Once Upon a Time still. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's completely and totally different, even though they're changing it up a bit. And I will echo what a lot of you have said. Uh, I really loved the Resistance camp moment i thought it was awesome seeing our trio meeting the resistance i loved seeing the tiana cinderella meet cute moment it was great to see where their friendship began i really enjoyed that i loved the little nod to um, the cinderella story with um, cinderella you know knowing that in Cinderella stories, you know, the, the character leaves a shoe behind as a sign. So I love that she left that there for Henry. And, um, you know, it was just a great, great introduction to Tiana in the Magical Forest. Even though we did see her very briefly at the ball, it was nice to see her sort of as, you know, this leader of the Resistance. You know, a, a tough Tiana, which uh, was pretty awesome to see and um the whole regina meeting cinderella was really nice as well and i'm glad that they kind of explained a little bit that regina was able to sort of regain control of her magic again um so i look forward to seeing a magical regina in the magical forest so continuing on with the story later on that night cinderella makes a a return to Lady Tremaine's manor. Uh, Basically, um, 
she she goes because of that uh, drawing of uh, th this box that uh, Lady Tremaine brought back to the manor. And uh, we learn that in the box is Anastasia. So Lady Tremaine actually brought the box back and, and made sure that it was visible so that Cinderella would return. And Tremaine explains that... Uh, it was basically her fault, or at least when Cinderella says that it's her fault, Lady Tremaine is basically like, yeah, it is. And um, Tremaine offers Cinderella a deal. Basically, she will spare everyone's life if Cinderella steals Henry's heart. Because she's learned about Henry, and she knows that he, he has a pure heart, the heart of the truest believer. And Anastasia needs a pure heart like that to live again. Because it turns out Anastasia is not dead. She has one final breath in her. So her body has been, I guess, frozen in stasis. So that she can't take that final breath, you know, until she has this new heart. So that she can continue on to live. And so Tremaine ends up uh, using magic, using the wand, to give Cinderella the power to steal Henry's heart. And so she basically gives her the, the, the moral quandary of, you know, take one life, spare the rest, or, you know, everyone dies regardless. And so Cinderella heads back to the camp, and, uh, you know, she... She's ready to do it to Henry, you know, to take out his heart, but then she she falters and, and she heads on over to the gentleman that we had met earlier in the episode, the one that made the shoes, the boots for Cinderella. Earlier in the episode, Tiana had introduced Cinderella as, uh, you know, the introduced him as like the man with the most belief you know he be really believes he's devoted the most devoted to the cause and so cinderella is going to basically do a bait and switch on lady tremaine and she's ready to steal this gentleman's heart but regina stops her and they actually end up having a heart to heart and uh, cinderella ends up confessing to Regina that her father's death is connected to Anastasia and that she's at fault and that's why Tremaine is on the war path and uh, Regina ends up telling Cinderella that the only way that she'll be able to fight back is is with forgiveness she needs to forgive herself and then she'll be able to see things clearly and is going to be able to uh, fight in the resistance and so uh, it seemed as if Cinderella was ready to leave the resistance but uh, Cinderella um, eventually ends up um, seeing what Regina said and uh, she stays with the resistance she even tells uh, everyone to call her Ella from now on because Regina had sort of surmised that her name uh, was a bit of an insult Cinder Ella and uh, Cinderella, well, I should say Ella, 
tells them about Tremaine's plot, that Tremaine knows that they are going to attack, and so they put their plans on hold. So let's break all of this down. Let's talk about Cinderella heading to the Tremaine Manor, Tremaine and all of that info dump that she gave us about Anastasia, Cinderella, you know, ready to rip out a heart, but then uh, Ella and Regina's heart to heart. Let's talk about it all. And let's start off with uh, Heather. Okay, so the first one, as soon as they got to, as soon as Cinderella got to Lady Tremaine's mansion and Lady Tremaine starts talking about Anastasia, I got so excited because I thought they were going to finally validate Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. And which... (laughs) Obviously they can't because we already have Alice, but I, I just I held on to the hope. Aww. So, <laughs> but we miss Anastasia. I, I do too. <laughs> I was I had ho- so much hope, but maybe they will. Um, but I, I'm really really intrigued to see what happened between Cinderella and later Tremaine to cause Anastasia to not really die, but kind of die. Um, Because during um, season one, that whole relationship between Regina and Snow White, hinging on the fact that Snow White told a secret, to me, I, I never fully bought into that. It just always seemed so, like I understood it, but I never really fully bought into it. But I'm I'm so bought into this relationship between her and Cinderella now, and I can't wait to find out what all went down between them and between her father. Yeah, I hope so, it's not a secret. I know. I mean, it was it was a good idea, but it, it never got me there. Um, I'm pretty pumped about this. Um, also, and I realize I jumped ahead for a second, but whenever um, Tiana was showing Cinderella the box, the picture of the box, I was expecting it to be, you know, like a teeny tiny, like a little magic box. And when she pulled in there and it was a coffin, I was like, well, oh, okay then. We're going to go that route. So that was cool to me. And I also just, I absolutely loved the little moment between Regina and Cinderella where they, Regina, you know, we've been through so much with Regina. And to hear her talk about forgive, somebody else needs to forgive themselves before they can move forward, that was just I was so in love with that moment. I was like, you go, Regina. You finally got this. So I, I really, that was the sequence of scenes that really made me buy into the episode and get excited about it. Katie, what about you? I really did enjoy specifically these sections of the episode. Like Heather said, um, I just, we got that big kind of reveal and I mean Once Upon a Time has the most extra villains ever (laughs) she's like keeping her child alive in a box you know like frozen she wants to I don't oh she's so extra but it fits for her and it, it brings a different kind of motherly emotion to the show versus what we had in the first six seasons where it was Cora trying to do the best for her daughter by controlling her life and making her do what she wanted her to do 
versus Lady Tremaine, who has had a child die and is trying to keep her alive and trying to preserve her and blaming another one of her, ch- well, a stepchild for this. And it's it's kind of, it's two different things, and I like how they're kind of playing around with that this season. And it was it was definitely a big reveal because from what we know of the original, um, the original Cinderella story is Anastasia and Drizella are both alive, and to know that Anastasia has died um, a why a long time ago, if I'm correct, um, when she was fourteen, and she didn't. She she's 14. not dead. She's not dead. But she's... She's mostly dead. Mostly dead. To put it in the words of uh, Miracle Max. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, just, it's very interesting. And it brings a whole different twist to the Cinderella story that we know. And so I really like that. I mean, I was not expecting that at all. Because, you know, we kind of knew, if you keep up with spoilers that Anastasia was going to be featured a little bit later, but I honestly had no idea like that this was going to be prevalent from this episode and why it was going to be prevalent. So it was very interesting to me. Um, but besides that scene, I really liked the dynamic that we got to see between Regina and Cinderella. Um, to see the little bonding moments that they had together, that was, it was very poetic, um, seeing how far Regina has come specifically from who she was in the first first few seasons um, to where she is now in the seventh season. So that was really powerful, and I just that was one of my favorite scenes, I should say, probably up to this point in the series. It's, it's been one of my favorite scenes because it just was very poetic and really spoke to Regina's character development up until this point. So... I really enjoyed that scene specifically. Jenna, what about you? Well, I loved the scene where Cinderella sneaks into Lady Tremaine's um, manor and then gets caught. It's intense. It's spooky. There's a coffin. Then you see it, um, Anastasia's dead body, and it's covered by that black bit of lace. It's dark. It's spooky. And just the mood of that scene just speaks for itself. And you really feel this this complex relationship between um, Lady Tremaine and Anastasia, Lady Tremaine and Ella, and Ella and Anastasia. And it's just, it really brings home this odd, this odd moral dilemma that Lady Tremaine then imposes on Ella. And I just, I really like that. I, and I love the resolution of it. I like seeing Regina and Ella make this connection between each other. Um, Regina, like, understanding why they call her Cinderella. I wonder how much of that she knew innately and how much of that she knew because of Ashley. Like, maybe she found out about that from Ashley at some point. But anyways, besides the point, it's nice to see... It's nice to see her making these connections. And I like that... um, that Ella grows from these connections. These are the things that help her grow as a person. These connections, the people that she cares about. And you see, she's so much, she's so emotionally strong. And one of the things I love about Once Upon a Time 
is that the women are strong because of their emotions. And, like, being able to express one's emotion, that what that's what makes a woman strong. It's what made Emma strong, it's what made Regina strong, and now we're seeing that's what's making Jacinda strong, or Ella. And the end of the episode gives a lot of hope. It's showing a big step forward for everyone. So, even though the villain looks scarier than other scarier than ever so do the heroes and it's gonna it's making for a really dramatic build-up so yeah i love it those are my thoughts okay i enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about lady tremaine and her motivation i still don't find her that threatening though to be quite honest like compared to the evil queen in season one Lady Tremaine, she needs to prove herself a little bit more to me, at least, to make her seem, like, really threatening. I, I know that she's willing to do anything, which um, does give her an edge a, a bit. You know, the what, how she treated uh, the uh, fairy godmother and such. But I still need to see a little bit more from her to see her really as, like, a, a good successor to the Evil Queen. But her motivation is kind of neat. I'm glad that it isn't a full rehash. I know that one of the complaints that I've been reading about about this season is the fact that it's very season one of Once Upon a Time, as in they're doing a lot of uh, parallels to season one, you know, almost like they're beating us on the head with the parallels to season one. And I get that complaint. I mean, I, I have it a little bit, but uh, if you think about Once Upon a Time in general, they're all about the parallel. Like, they're always paralleling with what's going on in whatever it is, the present, with the past. So, that isn't anything new. So, But I am glad that, so far, it seems like whatever rift that happened between Ella and uh, Lady T, it, it seems like it's different than the rift between uh, Snow and Regina. So that's a positive, in my opinion. I'm glad they didn't rewrite the rules of magic in this new realm. I'm glad that dead is dead. And this whole twist of like the final breath, I think that's really interesting i don't know how that's going to work i don't know uh, what that means for like the greater story moving forward but i find it intriguing nonetheless and uh i'm curious to see if she's going to succeed in doing what she needs to do and I guess uh, I can go into that a little bit more when we get into the present day, because I, I, I don't want to sort of spoil that discussion. So, I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see what it means to have, like, one breath left. But I'm here for it. I'm curious. I'm just curious to see what they're going to do with that, because that's something new. It's something that we haven't experienced yet on Once Upon a Time. And... Cinderella dropping the cinder and keeping the Ella. I like that. You know, shout out to 
to Ella, like owning her past, forgiving herself, and moving forward, and, um, you know, um, allowing herself to move forward so that she can fight for the cause, basically. And anything where Regina is, is sort of like using her expertise on forgiveness and forgiving herself, I mean, that was just fantastic to see. So, before we move into the present day, I do want to ask a question, because I don't know if any of you have theories. What do you think happened to Anastasia? And how was Cinderella's father and or Cinderella involved in it? Does anyone have a theory? I do. All right. Share Uh, it. So, I'm thinking, I think Cinderella, like accidentally caused some some harm to Anastasia maybe um maybe like Cinderella's father um decided to take them on a trip to a market or something and Cinderella and Anastasia were playing by a river and Anastasia and like by accident while they were playing Anastasia fell into a river or got into some other dangerous situation that all took basically all of Anastasia's life so Tremaine blames both the father and blames Cinderella. Or just, yeah, I think something like that where it was like a, an accident, but it it caused this child's death and Tremaine is enraged. So she can't do much but blame, but blame them. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I love how there's a river involved for some reason <laughs> but why not it always is. water water is the big thing in one spot apparently does anyone else have a theory i don't know i really don't like i didn't even theorize that this is gonna happen so i'm kind of like i have no idea like i mean obviously jacinda or ella had something to do with it but I don't know what. I don't have any theories. I'm just going to be surprised, I think. But I kind of like Jenna's. You know, something that she wasn't... It wasn't like she was purposely doing anything. It was very inadvertent. But enough that um, Lady Tremaine would just place all the blame on Ella and... um, that would cause sort of this animosity that uh, Tr- Lady Tremaine has for Ella. So, I guess we'll see, but it's very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I don't necessarily yeah. see her blaming Ella, though, to be quite honest. It seems more so like she blames her father. She sort of blames Ella by association, in a sense, but it seems like mm-hmm. more of the blame it is towards the father, while Ella like blames herself okay true oh yeah that makes sense so i don't know Hmm. i guess we'll have to wait and see i'm curious to see who ella's father is i'm going to assume at some point we're going to have to see him since they keep on mentioning the father in the (laughs) uh, magical forest flashbacks (laughs) Like we just go the entire season and we never find out. I know, who right? That is. Like, That's the twist. <laughs> Plot twist. We never see. Yeah. Any other theories? Because I'll be honest, I have none. I have none at this point. 
I'm just excited to see what happens with it. Yeah, it's intriguing. Alright, let's get into Hyperion Heights. And so, we start off by uh, learning that Jacinda and Lucy are keeping in touch. They're sharing letters via the uh, community garden. I guess, you know, they place letters in the well, and, you know, that's how they're keeping in touch. And in particular because right now, Lucy is under the care of... Um, Victoria. But Victoria knows all about the letters and she has shown up at the garden ready to bulldoze it and uh, to build uh, new condos on the lot. And uh, Jacinda's like, you know, but this is Lucy's favorite place. You know, if you're if you're not going to do this for anyone, you know, think about like Lucy, you know, because Lucy will be heartbroken by it. But um Victoria refuses to listen. And so, continuing on with this storyline, Ronnie ends up chatting with Jacinda, and uh, basically Ronnie uses her know-how on like how uh, the um, community works by filling Jacinda in that she can stop Victoria's plan by launching a petition that would lead to an injunction in order to prove that the garden is viable to the community. So the petition starts off as a success. Jacinda has gathered enough signatures to get the injunction, but Victoria shows up with an offer that Jacinda just couldn't refuse. Jacinda should burn up the petition, and if she does that, Victoria will give her a condo in this brand new condominium that's being built on the plot of the community garden. And, you know, this this is a condo for Jacinda and for Lucy. And uh, Jacinda is willing to do anything to be with Lucy and the prospect, the idea of a new home for them, I guess is too much for her that she ends up burning the petition and all those signatures. And uh, Lucy sees this and uh, as much pleading as Jacinda does, you know, so that Lucy can understand why she did it. Lucy basically is like, you know, if you're willing to do that, you know, I, I don't want to have anything to do with you because that's not the right way. That's not what a hero does. And so uh, later on, you know, after sort of digesting everything that she did and after chatting uh, with others about it, Jacinda does get the urge to fight back against Victoria. She gathers uh, all of the residents at the community garden and she has them all re-sign the petition she explains why she needs it to be re-signed and she also gets those that are there while they're signing the petition to plant in the garden which um you know brings hope to lucy so focusing on this storyline what did you all think let's start off with heather um with this one i was Whenever she burned the petition, and I know I'm, like, jumping to the very end of it, 
whenever she burnt that petition, it kind of like broke my heart a little bit because I was like, no, 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 you're not supposed to do this. You're you're supposed to be the hero. This is the moment where you stand up. And it it made me think back to um, in season six when Emma burnt the book, and I was like. Oh God, no! You can't do that kind of thing. That's that's against the rules of being a hero. So, I don't know. That was such a just an intense moment that I really kind of wasn't expecting it to be. That it really kind of spoke to me and it drew me into the episode, especially since Lucy was there to see it. And um, that it just there. It's like what Jeffrey said earlier about paralleling with season one and how it's. I really agree that it's not a bad thing because I do agree with you that they have been doing that throughout all of the season so far. But whenever they did that, that moment um, where you've got the evil queen who's over, uh, evil queen, evil Lady Tremaine, who's dealing with the hero who's trying to become the better person for the little kid. It made me think back to season one where Henry... um, walks in on Emma calling him crazy and I was just like man that's such a good moment because you you tie it back into the old series but you keep it so original and I I did actually feel my heart break a little bit when she burnt the petition but then to see her go back and actually be the hero and bring everybody back together I actually started liking Jacinda in this episode and up to this point I've tried, I've been struggling with her character but I actually really do like her now Katie, what about you? I I agree with what um, Heather was saying. Um, this when Jacinda burnt the um, burnt the letter, it it actually was something that I was not expecting to happen. You know, I thought it would be like one of those last minute things where she decides, you know, at the last minute, no, I'm not going to do this. It's not right, but she didn't she actually burnt it and she burnt the petition the petition and uh it kind of surprised me it's like well where are they going to go now from here in the episode since she's done this and i kind of like how they wrapped it all up at the end um but where she has everyone sign the petition and they're um planting at the same time um it kind of harkens back to season one where um the town and people start to revolt a little bit back against regina um but and to start following the hero um but in such a fresh new way and i really did like that and i like how they kind of played with the different emotions throughout this whole um this whole section of the storyline in this episode, um, specifically between Jacinda and Lucy. And Jacinda and Lucy's relationship is what has been one of my favorites from the start of the season. Um, I just really love mother and daughter relationships. And specifically, we get to see that from from the aspect of a mother and a young daughter um, rather than a teenage daughter and an adult daughter in this season's um as in um as opposed is the word i'm looking for as opposed to the past seasons so i like how we're kind of getting to see that and i like how um we get to see uh, as much as the audience is shocked by the fact that jacinda went ahead and 
burned the petitions. Lucy is disappointed in her as well for choosing this um, option. And we kind of get to play with those emotions and see where those go and how it kind of takes Lucy down a little bit. And it brings us back to when Henry, um, like Heather said, when um, Emma um, called Henry's um, beliefs crazy and um, we got to see how that really kind of destroyed him a little bit and we get to see the same thing with Lucy and I, I like how we're I like these more subtle callbacks to the first season um, as opposed to the more blatant callbacks um, specifically because they're done very well and I just I really appreciate that so um it, it was a good storyline, and I like how they kind of threw us for a loop a little bit by not making the hero do what we expect the hero to do. We'll get into the blatant callback in just a moment. <laughs> Jenna, what about you? Well, I personally really liked the, um, I personally really loved Jacinda's storyline. I already liked her as a character, but I feel like this was a really good story, seeing her step up. Um, I, uh, I didn't see the burning coming up of the petition either, but I liked it. It shows her emotional vulnerability. It shows how Lady Tremaine just knows how to pull at those strings. She knows those, she knows those weaknesses of hers. And, and we see, and throughout that story, we see Jacinda overcome those, overcome those weaknesses we see her again um, build off the experiences and the connections that she made to realize she was wrong. Her her interactions with Lucy and her interactions with Ronnie both make her stronger and make her see, hey, this wasn't the right thing to do. And now, and and because of who she is, she understands how she can make it right. So. It's a very good, so this is a very good morality story. It feels just, it's what I was saying earlier about this episode being very solid. There's a very solid progression from point A to point B. And I just, and I really enjoy that. I was immensely disappointed in Jacinda when she burnt the, uh petition i completely did not see that coming i mean it makes sense if you think about it just because she is cursed and uh you know whenever we've seen characters be cursed i mean they always have to have sort of like that struggle moment when they do what is expected of them in their cursed form but then they realize that that isn't the right thing and so then they end up doing the right thing so i feel like she needed that moment she wasn't ready to go full hero but it was still so difficult to watch and so disappointing and then to see uh, see poor lucy have to witness this and then you know just have that um moment where basically we saw her heart broke you know it was very difficult to watch just because you know i'm i'm rooting for lucy i'm rooting that uh that she gets everyone on board and they realize who they are i'm like rooting for that so it was very sad to see but i'm so glad that this time around you know whereas you know maybe in season one 
of Once Upon a Time. It would have taken a couple of episodes for the hero to realize that they need to fight. I'm so glad that within the span of the episode, Jacinda learned the error of her ways. And um, she, you know, brought the fight back and she was ready to fight. So that was really great to see. It was very inspiring to see. And uh, I'm excited to see like what that means in the future for Jacinda. Is she going to be a fighter from here on out? Is she going to, you know, sort of bring the fight to Victoria? That's going to be really interesting to see because, um, you know, that that's it's, it's going to be immense character growth for Jacinda in Hyperion Heights. So continuing on with uh, the next storyline in the episode. Lucy believes that Victoria is trying to destroy the community garden, not just for the condos. She feels like that's kind of like a ruse. Like she feels like Victoria is trying to hide something. And so uh, she fills Henry in on this belief and basically she's like it's kind of like in season one when no she didn't say that it's kind of like how in your book when Henry goes into the mines and they almost find Cinderella's glass coffin blah 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 and so when oh wait let me pause for half a second because there was a really neat line in there for all the haters online I guess that are like oh it's just a repeat it, like, Henry ends up saying something like, yeah, but, you know, like, I forget the exact line, and I should have written it down, but there was a really great line that Henry was cut off from saying that basically was, like, trying to justify the reason why there's a parallel, which I thought was really neat. I don't know if anyone else picked up on it. I didn't, actually. Now I want to go back and see it. It was a fun... It made me laugh, me because I was like, okay, that's for the haters that keep on saying, oh, they're just repeating season one. So, yes. anywho. Adam and Eddie really did that. I love it. Yes. <laughs> so, but the funny thing is that Henry gets cut off because of the excavator. So, the excavator ends up hitting something that it can't break. And so, then, then it does. And Lucy believes that if she jumps through the hole that the ex- excavator made, that they're going to find something much like Henry or would have in uh, Storybrooke. And so she jumps in, Henry follows, and, um, you know, they get into this conversation about family because Lucy's trying to convince Henry that, you know, his family is right in front of his face. And um, so she asks, you know, where is your family buried? And and he says that he couldn't find it. And so she's like, well, that's because it's your cursed memories. You know, it's not real. And so... They search, they search, they search. They're at the point where they're going to give up. But Lucy's like, you know, we need to look closer. And so then she comes across what she believes to be a piece of Cinderella's glass slipper. Henry's like, that could just be a piece of glass. But she's like, no, I believe it. And that this will be proof enough to show Jacinda that she is Cinderella so that she believes. That's going to get her to believe. And so, after everything that happened with Jacinda and the petition, she actually ends up giving 
the piece of glass slipper to Henry instead. And um, she explains that uh, Jacinda doesn't need it anymore because she's starting to believe. And it makes sense that Henry has it anyway because, you know, the prince ends up having the slipper regardless. And so later on that night, Henry, you know, walking through Hyperion Heights, ends up running into the Hyperion Heights cemetery and he finds the um, the tombstones that uh, are of his late wife and child. So let's break this down, Katie. Well, how convenient, first of all, <laughs> that the cemetery just popped out of nowhere. Uh, that was very interesting, um, specifically that um, portion of this little storyline with the cemetery popping up. Um, but, I mean, overall, this is the part that really was like, it was a very close heavy-handed season one type of thing yes it was a it was a, it was a very close callback to season one um you know when henry goes into the mine and so he's going and looking for a piece of glass or he finds a piece of glass that was from his grandmother's coffin um and so we have lucy going into the underground seattle or whatever and that's finding- real for those out there yeah, that don't know. Yeah, it is know. real. I, okay, I will say, I really appreciate that they did kind of bring in something that is actually real. Um, that was cool. Yeah, that but, was neat. And it makes yeah. a lot more sense than there being, like, mines or something exactly. in Seattle. Yeah. So I'm glad that they referenced that. I thought that was really neat. And to be quite honest, it wasn't until I was, like, breaking down the episode getting ready for the podcast that I realized it was a glass coffin and it's a glass slipper that they found. I'm like, good grief. Really people. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my only complaint is, you know, Lucy finds the glass piece from her mother's slipper. And so it's, it's kind of like a direct callback. And that was a little much for me. I mean, I appreciate in the sense that you can have, um, parallel sets next to each other showing um just how close they are i mean that's kind of fun but at the same time it's pretty close um i do like how they ended it where she gives henry the piece of glass instead of giving it to her mother because her mother is already starting to wake up and doing it herself and she thinks that henry needs a little bit um extra push and besides the prince is supposed to have the slipper anyway so i i kind of appreciated the way they ended it but i mean the whole, it was it was it was a very close callback and i i tend to appreciate the subtle callbacks a little bit more um but i mean it was still enjoyable to watch so not something to be like overly critical about but it was pretty close heather what about you I don't know. I'm I'm on the same line as Katie. This was the part of the episode that really did kind of lose me, just because it it, it is such a blatant reference to season one's uh, that still small voice. I I really first off Henry's red jacket. I loved that. I loved that he got to wear the red jacket this time because 
Um, it's another costuming choice, and I loved that. Um, and I wanted to mention that before going forward. But I don't know. If they could have had the conversation anywhere else, like walking down the street, I feel like the conversation between him and Lucy would have been so much uh, better because I was so distracted by the fact that they were down in the underground or the mines, however you want to say it. And that just really detracted uh, from the actual scene itself, in my opinion. But what really, it um, really, really got to me was that at, at one point while they're walking around uh, down in the underground, Henry says, tells Lucy, oh, you know, that's crazy. You know, this can't be real. I wrote a book. And it's just so, ah, uh, I don't know. Because Henry's always the one that's been, you know, well, you've got to believe. And it's. It's real. It's it's. You've got to be the he's hero. Cursed. He's, he's cursed. cursed. I can't deal with it. I, I know, can't right? Deal. That to me was like that was more heartbreaking to me than um, actually than Jacinda burning the petition because I'm like, no, Henry, I need you to get your life back together now. Get your I life. I need you back. Yeah. Oh, Henry. Jenna, what about you? Okay. Um, I personally disagree with Heather. I find that um, having the setting be in the mine shows, well, in some way, first Lucy's desperation to get her family to believe, like, this is her father, and, like, it's it's a little different than Henry and Emma, because Lucy has known her father. Those flashbacks in the season six finale show that they have spent a lot of time together talking about belief, talking about the book, so... She's, like, going down, it's like, believe this, you're my father, you used to talk to me about this all the time. I can't believe you're not, you're not, like, seeing this. And I think the conversation about family is, really is the centerpiece of this, of this scene. And they're, and it's a big part, it's such a big part of their relationship. And I just really like that. I feel like it puts Lucy and Henry at the center and giving them an epic scene, an, an, in a way, an epic callback and seeing Henry still not believe. It's it's heartbreaking. It really is. But I And I kind of like that. It's a little heavy-handed, but I just think it screams of just, this is how different Henry is for all... So the steps forward that he's taken in episodes one and two, as little as they are, it's just, you see just how far gone he is. You see how tragic the situation is. It kind of gives off the same feeling that in the in the Hyperion Heights um, season seven premiere episode, when he was first telling Lucy that his wife and daughter are dead, it's just as heartbreaking by seeing him in the same place. And he's not the one leading the adventure. He's the one who's skeptically just following along and just being like, okay, when's the fastest we can get out of here? And I I do love the I do love the ending because it shows so much of now of Lucy's faith in her mom and I guess in a way it's in a way that shift it's kind of shifted a bit. It's like, okay, I'm gonna start I'm gonna still focus on giving on giving my dad this belief, but my mom I can ease up on because I can see she's already taking a big step forward and th- and Henry still has such a long way to go. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Okay. So, Jenna, 
you're like trying to convince me like i feel it like i know you're talking to me because i'm the last one that's got to go and you're like come to my side and see everything i'm seeing and you did a great job but I, i'm still not buying it like i just oh my gosh that heavy-handed approach to the callback the parallel it was just too much for me to be quite honest i don't mind a parallel i don't mind it like we're used to that we saw that in season one we saw that in in the freaking pilot so parallels are fine i get it just like exact carbon copy of of like what happened before that's where i have an issue with it listen the seattle underground i'm glad that they referenced it it makes sense the conversation was really nice i would have rather they had it elsewhere it was just too heavy-handed and you know glass and glass and underground underground finding you know a little piece of the magic finding a little piece of the magic it was just it was too merch it was just too much for my life but i get that they had to do it i just hope if they're going to do something like this again that it isn't so you know got your nose you know it's just it's like too much like it just it really was and i'm all for a parallel and it was just too much for my life now focusing on the actual portion that i thought was really interesting the graveyard Here's the thing. Henry, you did the research. You had Rogers do the research. Rogers could not find them. That graveyard did not exist. If your little punk ass starts like, this shit is real. Oh my god, here's my family. I'm going to be so fucking pissed at you. You need to, in the next episode, say some crap like... This graveyard wasn't here. What the hell is going on? Because if you're going to get in your emotions, like, I found my dead wife's body. I found my dead daughter. I am, like, done with you. Like, I am going to be so freaking mad. Because that shit did not exist two episodes ago. And you know that. Because that lady told you. So, I'm just going to be so mad. The, the script for the next episode. I know, right? <laughs> so I'm going to be so mad. Like, that's just the only thing I'm saying. I don't know if anybody else feels as passionately about that, but I'm I just know. Yes, I just know that I, he can't. Passionate. Like, he can't. I, I'm kind of with you on that. If he yeah. turns around and is like, oh no, they're there, I'm like, no, kid. No. You saw that freaking plot a few days ago, and there was nothing there. Like, how did a cemetery appear? You need to start mm -hmm. asking questions. That's all I'm saying. Because <laughs> yeah, I get it that you're cursed. Before. I just, you know. There was a woman no. there that asked. Or so. every other time I went to go see my dead wife and child. Maybe Katie would be happy with that type of storyline. But he asked the woman. He asked the woman if it was there. So, and there wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, he needs to, like, I'm not going to accept that whole explanation, because if they're going to do that, that's a parallel to Charming when he saw the, um, what was it? The windmill? It was a windmill, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 If they're going to do that, that's going to be annoying. So, I hope that he asks questions, because that did not exist a couple episodes ago, a couple days ago for him, so...
That's all I'm saying. Alright, continuing on with the story. So, Ronnie fills Henry and Rogers in on a customer, a patron, from the bar that was there, had a little bit too much to drink, and he starts spilling the beans. Uh, he is a building inspector, and it leads to uh, Roger suspecting that the man might have been bribed by Victoria. So Rogers decides to do a stakeout to keep an eye on um, this man to see if uh, you know what he suspects is correct. And so he has to lie to Weaver about what he's doing so weaver becomes suspicious and ends up following rogers and so as expected in the freaking daylight on a freaking corner that anybody can see you i'm like hello anyway victoria's bold so um, the official meets with victoria victoria gives him some money he clearly pockets the money and uh, later on, at a restaurant, Rogers ends up confronting him. You know, he tries to deny it, but then, you know, ends up like, you know, hey, you know, you want to split the money? And, uh, you know, Rogers is basically like, hell no, you're getting arrested. And so, later on at the station, Rogers sees Weaver with the suspect, and, uh, you know, Weaver sets him free. And so, Weaver basically tells Rogers that, oh, you know, you're trying to launch an investigation without the proper pro protocol and all this kind of stuff, and so... He also tells Rogers that they could use the inspector as an informant. So whenever Victoria calls him, he will call me and this, that, or the other. And um, Rogers seems very annoyed that Weaver stepped into the investigation of the um, building inspector, uh, Michael Griffiths. So let's get into this storyline. What did you all think? of Rogers and Weaver and uh, Rogers getting his uh, stakeout on Heather? Um, well, first off, I love the relationship between Rogers and Weaver, and I can't wait because um, Rumpelstiltskin is my man, and I cannot... Aww, your boo thing. I'm so excited. That That's my man right there. I cannot wait to see what happens with him, and I don't know. I was um, very intrigued because I can't really figure out yet if Weaver knows because it's been a very rare occurrence that Rumpelstiltskin has not or that he has actually been part of a curse or that he didn't have some kind of loophole to get out of. And the way that he is interacting with Rogers makes me kind of wonder, OK, what are we really dealing with? Uh, does he know what's going down or is it just he's actually he's actually cursed as well and he's just looking out for Rogers. So I can't figure that part out yet, but I, I am pumped to see what happens there. Um, I really liked this storyline just because I, I love Rumpelstiltskin and I love Hook. So I don't know that, that that's all I've got on that one at the moment. 
I'm just excited to see what happens with it. Yeah, it's interesting. I've said this before, I will say it again, I genuinely do not like Mr. Gold. I like Rumpelstiltskin. Like, Rumpel in the Enchanted Forest has always been really interesting to me. But Mr. Gold was just a bit much. And uh, the, like, constant, like, trying to give him redemption and it never really working and him doing something to sort of mess it all up again was very annoying. I'm glad that at least it seems as if... uh, the final redemption that he got at the end of season six stuck in the sense that at least the last time that we saw gold in Storybrooke, he was accepted by the family. He was welcomed in. It seems I'm guessing that he had a good relationship with everyone else. I guess we will find out next time you know, when we discuss the um, rumple centric episode that's coming up. But my hope is that, you know, everything was like, kumbaya, fantastic, we love you, you're our family, you know, that kind of thing. So if that is true, and they continue with that, I'm interested in seeing what they're going to do with the character once he does awake, awaken. Because, in my opinion, he is under the curse. I don't think he knows anything that's going on will there be something that like triggers him that um you know uh, has him wake up that's something that i guess we shall see in the future because i currently feel like he's under the curse and uh, it would make sense because i mentioned this last time like i don't like him like elbowing henry in the face because like that's your grandson so you know i hope that he is cursed and um i'm actually liking weaver which i'm surprised because as i mentioned i did not like mr gold like i feel like weaver is a completely different character i know that they showed us in the very first episode of the season him doing something kind of nefarious you know dunking a suspect's head underwater sort of like torturing him and that kind of thing i feel like that was a bit of a red herring to make us think he's gonna be mr gold ish because it definitely harkened back to when he beat the crap out of mo french But it seems like it was like a red herring. It seems like he's going to be a very different character. He seems to, like, work outside of, uh, like, the lines of, of, um, what's expected, like, uh, of, like, the honor of a a police officer in a sense. You know, he seems to, like, he, he colors outside the lines. You know, he does things, you know, that maybe aren't up to code, but it seems like he does them for the right reasons. At least that's what I'm going to take from Weaver right now. Unless, you know, they end up proving me wrong at some point. But um, so far I'm digging Weaver. I'm liking his relationship with Rogers. And uh, I hope if Weaver is more so on the side of good than not, that they end up bringing him into the fold. And if they do, uh, it will probably parallel when... uh, Whenever, like, Rumpel is brought into the trio in the Magical Forest, I'm going to, going to assume. Katie, what about you? I really liked this portion of the story, too. Um, 
I really like Rogers and Weaver's relationship, specifically in Hyperion Heights. Um, they, I mean, Golden Hook have always had such an interesting relationship because it, it's always, you know, them trying to best each other, them trying to um, kill one another in instances. And so um, to have them you know, at odds, but also sort of working together is really interesting. Um, I'm just, I'm very curious about Weaver's character. I'm this, I feel the same way that you do about Rumpelstiltskin and Mr. Gold and all of that, Jeff. So for me to like, like Weaver is such an interesting concept. Roger, Roger, Roger. Robert Carlyle, not Roger Carlyle. Robert Carlyle is a very good actor. I love him as an actor. He does a very good job. But I feel a lot more drawn to Weaver as a character because I'm actually interested in his story and what's happening. Um, and so, I don't know. I'm just really excited to see specifically this next episode for Weaver and what, you know, the past that he's had um, has led him up to this point. Um, and I do believe that he is cursed. Um, but what led him up to coming to this town um, or being here to be cursed? So I'm very interested in finding that out. But um, kind of when you were explaining this storyline, you mentioned how um, <laughs> uh, Victoria and this dude like exchanged this money in the wide open space. I mean, yeah, really that funny. was too much. <laughs> well, my mom and I were watching, we were like, wow, no one saw that at all. <laughs> that was not obvious. I, she must have been like, <laughs> you know, I'm the boss bitch in this town. Like, no one's going <laughs> like, to pay oh, attention. Oh, she is handing money <laughs> off to someone again. Oh, well. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny because it was just like so obvious and like, it was really funny. But, um, I got a good laugh out of that scene, but um, I loved that scene where Rogers confronted the guy. Uh, that was a that was a good scene for Rogers as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I did enjoy the storyline, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here with the characters. Jenna. Okay, so um, like Heather, I'm a big Rumple fan, and I also really like Rumple and uh, Hook's dynamic, and that continues on with. Rogers and Weaver. At first, I was a little confused by the last scene with uh, Rumpel talking to... I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Weaver talking to Rogers and saying, like, uh, I guess when he'll, when he'll call Belfry, Belfry will call me. First, I was like, is he being helpful or hurtful? But I, And it took, me like a, it took me a little bit of time to process it. And, like, it's interesting. Like, again, these guys are reluctantly working together. And I kind of can see why Rogers is a little nervous at that. He's definitely seen Weaver's really odd side. He's seen, like, he's seen Weaver elbow Henry. He's seen him go for all this dirt and be very mysterious and ambiguous and rumply without even knowing who Rumple is. Um, so I'm I'm also with Katie. I really did like Roger's scene confronting, confronting the guy. And being like, yeah, I'm bringing you in. Temptation's not going to work on me. It's a strong scene. It shows 
It shows Roger's morals. It shows his conviction. It shows that it shows kind of that bit of hook too, that passionate to the point kind of person. Like um, in other seasons, you see Hook, even even like the even the Hook that we know that essence of him, where he's like, "Let's get to the point. We don't have time for a dance. We have to save Emma from being the Dark Swan." Like you see, yeah, you see that part of him. Also, uh, it seems like I'm kind of going in a bit of a reverse order with the scenes, but I'm doing that anyways. One thing that I love in the opening um, in the opening scene of this section, when um, Rogers, Henry, and Ronnie are together, Henry's like, yeah, I'm totally in for a stakeout, and Rogers and Ronnie are like, no, they're such parents without even knowing the parents are in Aaron Rogers' case, even being parents. I just <laughs> found that really funny and adorable. That was really cute. And also it loved the moment, I didn't mention this earlier, but when Ronnie was like... When they were, like, praising her, like, oh, look at you, you know, saving or helping out the neighborhood. And she's like, oh, I'm a regular queen. Yes! I love <laughs> yes. that! Yes! Queen! Adorbs. Yes. But, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I always I always look forward to the Rogers-Weaver dynamic. I don't think Weaver's cursed at this moment, but I kind of believe that based more on it, more on something from the promo for the next episode... But I guess we'll see what happens next week in that regard. Okay. See, actually, because of the promo for that next episode is why I believe he's cursed. So we took that promo in very different uh, ways, Jenna, which will be interesting to discuss next time. So all right, everybody, let's get to it. This is the scene I have been waiting for very patiently to discuss because this is the scene in which everything changes so let's get into it all right some construction workers end up delivering a covered box to victoria they place it inside an elevator and she uh, uses her um, fingerprint to head into a secret floor of uh, belfry tower and we learn that the box that was recovered is the coffin that houses Anastasia, or as Lady Tremaine likes to call her, Anastasia. So that means Victoria Belfry is not cursed. She is awake. She knows everything. She knows what's going on. Inside of this secret floor of Belfry Tower is uh, a prisoner. Tremaine, Victoria, has a witch chained up, and um, she explains that uh, she uh, is going to basically ruin all of Lucy's beliefs. That um, we, we also learn a couple little things, I think important things, that um, Henry's heart is protected and Lucy's heart is protected. So she can't like steal their hearts. We also learn that apparently at least in Hyperion Heights or or maybe because of everything that's happened Tremaine doesn't necessarily need a heart 
to be placed inside of Anastasia that somehow Tremaine getting Lucy to uh, no longer believe in the past, you know, in the truth, basically. I, I guess Lucy has to get cursed, for lack of a better word. That will help Anastasia come back to life. Uh, at least that's how I interpreted what was being said. And um, the witch refuses to help Tremaine. But uh, Tremaine basically is like, you know, you're my prisoner. I'm going to basically, you know, force you to help me. The witch ends up saying something like, you know, I may be your prisoner, but you're a prisoner to who? And uh, she also says that, sure, you might be able to um, strip Lucy of her beliefs. Sure, you might be able to destroy uh, Lucy and um, her family. But at the end of all of this, Tremaine will have to deal with the witch and the consequences of her actions. So there you go. And uh, I will start off by saying I love the scene. I love that we learned officially that Victoria is awake. I feel like we all kind of assumed it just because of what we saw in season one with Regina. I think we all assumed mm -hmm. that Victoria was awake, but yep. I love that we a got proof of it and b we got proof of it in the third episode i believe it was the seventh episode where we learned regina was awake i think i can't remember but i, I feel i feel like that's the right number maybe if I not so. it's around there but basically what I'm trying to say is that it took us several more episodes to learn that Regina was awake. So I'm glad that we learned much sooner that Victoria is awake. I'm also glad that we learned that there's someone else in the town that's awake, a.k.a. the witch. We don't know who she is, but the whole talk of like, oh, you know, it's been a while since you visited me in the tower, step into the light, like all of that. I'm like, okay, this is Mother Gothel. At least that's my opinion. You all can have your own, which which I will respect. But I feel like, I mean, it, I, I'm like, it's hitting it on the head too much. So that's who I feel yeah. like she is. And I also like that Victoria sort of like hid away. It might not be in like the basement of a library, but I guess it's in the penthouse of Belfry Tower. Like she has her own magical being you know, uh, Regina hid a dragon, although it's a sorceress, um, in her dragon form beneath the library, and Tremaine has a powerful witch at the tippy top of her tower. So I think that's kind of neat. That's the kind of parallel I don't mind. Now, for the threat. Well, actually, before the threat. I like that we learned that Lucy's heart is protected and that she can't get Henry's heart either. So she basically cannot get hearts. So that's a good thing because at some point, you know, in the very first few seasons, like people were ripping hearts out left and right. So that's good to know. And then like the whole thing with the witch, 
Number one, that the witch is reluctant to help. And number two, that basically the witch is like, well, you know, you might get everything that you want or you might get everything that you feel that you need, but then you're going to have to deal with me. And that's the thing that excited me the most. Because even though Lady Tremaine seems um, pleased that she has this uh, witch chained up in her tower. Like, she genuinely looked unnerved by the witch and by that threat for, like, a a moment, which um, was interesting. And I'm curious to see how she has her chained up, because if she's a powerful witch, then those little chains have to be enchanted or something, or it has to... uh, There has to be something in the curse that allows this witch to um, be powerless or something in those chains. Because you would think that she could just magic her way out of it. So, that's all I've got. What about all of you? Let's start off with Jenna. Okay, um, so I think this scene was really intense. Very cool. Um... I like the idea that Belfry has this little secret room. It's her own vault in a way, but it's a modern vault with air conditioning, probably. Um, I actually have a different theory about about that, which I think it is Rapunzel aged up. Like, you know how Mother Gothel kept Rapunzel to keep her youth? Maybe, like, Rapunzel, she escaped from the tower and then kind of in order to protect herself, learned magic, and then was aged up. That way to kind of throw a bit more of a twist on it. Because I think a lot... I think that a lot of people know casting announcements and such, and they kind of want to change things up a bit. So why can't... So why can't they both be... Why can't there be Rapunzel become a witch? That'd be pretty cool. So, um, yeah, that's my theory on that. Um, it's... It's interesting seeing how they preserve Anastasia, and it makes a lot of sense given our modern world. And, yeah, I like that because the curse kind of... I guess if you're going to curse yourselves to any world, you, I mean, the modern world would be best for that exact purpose. I mean, it's there's nothing to say that the curse has to take you to a modern world, but you get what I'm saying. Um... Let's see. It definitely opens up a lot of intrigue. I'm glad we know that Belfry isn't... That we know Belfry is awake. And it kind of opens the door. Like, who else is awake? We know this witch is awake. And perhaps by bringing them to the land of land without magic, that's how they keep her powerless. And that's how they're able to keep her bound up. And the conversation they have about who's the real prisoner... It's very Rumple Regina esque, but in a subtle way. So, I'm a, so yeah, I really like this closer. It opens up a lot of questions. It gives us just a few answers. It it makes me want more, and that's what a closer should do. I read that theory online of some people thinking that the witch is Rapunzel. The only problem would be because Rapunzel is cast, and although Rapunzel is young, mm-hmm. would be if Rapunzel is in Hyperion Heights. Yeah. That would be the only twist in, in mm-hmm. that theory. Or the, the only wrinkle yeah. in that theory. Hmm. I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, but it is an interesting theory, because it's kind of like the whole, um, what do you call it, um... 
like red being the wolf because if mm-hmm. the witch is Rapunzel, then maybe in this story, because Lady Tremaine has placed the witch in a tower, you know, so all of a sudden Lady Tremaine kind of becomes the Mother Gothel character. Mm-hmm. In a sense. So that's interesting as well. I'm still f- sticking to, the, to her being Mother Gothel and that Rapunzel is a different character. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty cool theory, too. But we'll have to see. Katie, what about you? No, I mean, um, I, I, my original thought is that she is Mother Gothel or something very similar to Mother Gothel. Um, once his version of Mother Gothel, if you will. But the end scene was so intriguing to me. I mean, like you said, it confirmed that Victoria is awake and, I mean, I always knew that she was, but I like how they kind of addressed it pretty quick off the bat there. Um, and um, we also got to see the witch a lot earlier than I thought we were going to see her. So, it was fun. Yeah, I had a feeling it was her. episode three. I know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess just from the filming photos and everything, I was expecting it to be, like, episode six. So having her come three episodes um, earlier was very interesting to me. Um, and I I really enjoyed this last scene. It was very intriguing, very mysterious. Um, not totally sure what's going on, but uh, she needs a haircut, first of all. Um, yeah, it makes me think that, that there is wig. no AC. Good lord, that wig. I do not envy her for having to carry that thing around on her head. That was, like, ridiculous. Still looks better than but... the Snow White rat hair. <laughs> it looks a little tangled, almost. Yes! Oh! Nice! I see what you did there, Heather. <laughs> uh, but it was very interesting, and I my current theory is that she is like a Mother Gothel-type figure, and we're gonna see what's what's gonna happen, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Heather. All right. Um, I think she is a Jabberwock. Um, oh. Reincarnated. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, uh, that would be a twist. Jibber, so jabber, awesome. jibber, jabber, jibber, <laughs> jabber. That'd be freaking awesome. Can they do that? Do you think they would take that from us? We're like, hey, let's sign a petition. Yeah. Uh, and don't burn <laughs> it. Let's just not burn it, please. Yes, not burn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sign it. <laughs> okay. Yes, we've got I mean, four. We're going places. Yes. <laughs> um, I agree with Jenna. I, I do. As soon as I saw her, I thought she was Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. Maybe just We're an aged Rapunzel. I like it. Maybe she's got some kind of magic going on to where she is older. I don't know. I am pretty interested in that. But with that kind of wig and her being up in the tip top of the tower, I was like, it's either a red herring or she's Rapunzel. One of the two. Um... Her, whenever Belfry was talking about her super evil plan to make Lucy lose all of her hope and her belief, I was just like, man, she is evil. That was my moment where I was like, you know, she may be somebody to not mess with. She may be that that top level. So that really sold me on her character and um, how desperate she is to get Anastasia or Anastasia back um, I also really am, I don't know how I feel about the whole, 
she just has to get Lucy to not believe anymore, and now, and then Anastasia will somehow be brought back, because um, I think it was uh, Jeffrey you mentioned it earlier about how excited I was because I was very excited that they didn't try to change the laws of magic mm-hmm. because that is something that they've kind of toyed with a bit and they they kind of did go back on a few things in prior seasons um so i am intrigued by by that idea that lucy losing all of her belief will somehow wake anastasia but i just i really hope that they don't do it by breaking the laws of magic i feel like those are something that should be steady in this new season instead of um I think dead should be dead. That, that's what I mean. We don't need... We, you gotta have three genies to bring the dead people back. Yes. Nothing less. That's, that's all I had on that one. I was just... That was the scene in the episode that really, really got me. I was like, okay, I'm with it now. Before we get into the MVP, I did want to make a little note. Because uh, in doing research about the episode, there were three scenes that were cut from the episode after they were filmed. So uh, maybe we'll get them as deleted scenes on the DVD slash Blu-ray at some point. But um, apparently there was a scene filmed between Rogers and Sabine on a bench. And there was another scene with Ronnie and Lucy in the garden. And there was another scene with Sabine, and I'm so mad that they cut this, where she's using a dating app where you swipe if it's a frog or a prince and she ends oh, up that's right she ends oh, up that's awesome like uh, selecting someone to go on a date with so that I makes me sad about that dang it why'd you have to bring it up not mad i know <laughs> and apparently there were scenes filmed with uh, Gisela slash Ivy, but her scenes were cut. Well, Aww. that sucks. Yeah. Poor her. So uh, there you go. I wish we had more than 45 minutes for an, or 42 minutes for an episode. Yeah. <sighs> True that. Stupid ads. Stupid ads. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? The rules are simple. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. And if someone has already mentioned the character that you are going to choose, you must select a different one. So no repeats. And because she's new, you may go first, Heather. All right. I'm so excited because I was so afraid somebody was going to steal Regina. Regina is my MVP because she was so amazing throughout this entire episode just because, and maybe it's because she is an older character, so we've had all that time to really grow with her, but her growth and her development just, it oozed in this episode. Her talking to Cinderella and kind of giving her that boost, and then her talking to Jacinda and giving her that information that she needed. She was just amazing this entire episode. I was so excited to see her in this episode. Katie, your MVP, and why? Okay, well, I am going to go with the cliche answer and choose... uh, I'm going to choose Jacinda, actually. I was frustrated by her for... um, 
burning the petition. But you could see that she was acting out of love for her daughter, and that's really, so far from what we've seen of her character, that's really all she wants is just to have a home with Lucy and just be happy with Lucy and be a mother to her. But we did see at the end of the episode she kind of... Um, came came to and apologized for what she did and uh, gave this great speech and got the town to resign the petition and to start um, start the community garden up and so um, I really did like that so um, my uh, my MVP goes to Jacinda that's interesting when you said the cliched answer I thought you were gonna say Henry because that would be the cliche but okay, well, true. Okay, that's true too. But because I feel like Henry and Jacinda are the main characters, quote unquote, of the season, so I guess I don't know. Both of them are cliche. <laughs> well, there you go. No judgments, because now all of a sudden Jenna's going to pick Henry. <laughs> so, I'm teasing. You can choose the other half of the cliche answer. There you go, Jenna. It's your turn. Ah, jokes on you. Dang it! Considering it, but instead I'm gonna be crazy and go Lady Tremaine. Ooh! Wow! Yeah, I like it. Her scenes were so intense and spooky and eerie and complex. I love her. I love every interaction with every character, with Ella, with Jacinda, with the witch. Even like her subtle stuff, like I'm gonna just take a ran a bribe in the broad daylight. It's her confidence. It's she still has that casualness. She still has she has that, and now we see some bitterness too. I was just impressed by her. I'm excited to see more of her and what makes her tick. And just I want to see. I just want to see more of her. And that's always the sign of a great character. So, Lady Tremaine dash um, Veronica Belfry. No, uh, Victoria. Victoria Belfry. Whoops. I got her mixed up with Ronnie, but Victoria Belfry, you are the MVC. MVC? Most valuable character. I know it's not most valuable player, oh, okay. but yeah, I like I'm it. Things up. <laughs> it confused me it. for a moment, but I approve. And I'm so glad that none of you picked my character, because to be quite honest, I really only felt passionately about one, and I would have had to just justify somebody else. So thank you. To all of you, because my MVP <laughs> is the witch. I love you. You are amazing. You are fantastic. <laughs> you're kooky. You're crazy. You're evil. You're magical. And you made everything happen in those final moments of the episode. I'm fascinated by you. I can't wait to see more of you. I love your accent. They might have dissed you, so you can curse them later on, but I love your hair. And, um, you know, you are fantastic. And I'm here for you. So shout out to the witch. Now it well, is when's your date with her? Come on. Wow. I know, right? Jeez. I need to get that app that um that uh, Sabine was on, apparently. Swipe left, swipe right, whatever. Alright, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of one to ten apples? The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden apple. And uh, let's switch up the order. Let's start off with Jenna. 
Alrighty, um, once again, I am going to give this episode an 8. I think the story and character movements were very solid, very real, and that's a good, that's a good sign of Once Upon a Time, when they come from this place of real emotion and just real growth, and I feel like in this single episode, there was a lot of good stuff with that, and I, I despite what I was saying in the episode, I do agree some things were a little heavy-handed, and maybe it brought down the episode a touch, but I think that the I think that what we got out of it was what we at what we got out of it more than made up for it, and it just filled me with intrigue. It filled me with excitement for all the characters. So, yeah, I feel I'm liking that eight out of ten. Heather, I am probably a six out of ten. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. As much as I did really, really love some of the scenes within the show, or within this particular episode, it, it did get a little bit heavy-handed at times, and it there were just, I think there were just so many different moving storylines and different plots, and there was so much movement within it that even though I did end up liking it in the end, it just, it, it wasn't my favorite. Listeners, we have a new Russian judge. <laughs> okay, wait, you gotta explain that one for us newbies. Uh, well, usually the Russian judge in the Olympics is always, you know, the the, the stereotype is that they will be like, the toughest judge. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> two uh, out of ten or something like that, yeah. Room for improvement. You gotta work on it. <laughs> yes. I approve, though. I like it. You know, All right. you know, everyone has their own way to grade an episode, which is awesome. We're all unique. Yeah. Katie. That, that golden apple is going to be serious. Oh, I know, exactly. right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. Katie, what about you? I am actually going to go in between both of the girls. And I'm going to say, or I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 apples. Um, I did like it. It was still enjoyable. There were definitely some moments that were um, very intense and moves moves the plot along very well um, specifically with the witch at the end and when we find out when we found out about Anastasia um, those were very interesting and things that I never saw coming um, I specifically really liked that the introduction of the resistance camp that was kind of kind of a little little nod to Star Wars on Adam and Eddie's um, point there, which which is kind of fun because I know they're really big fans of it, and I am too. So um, to have something that's kind of similar to Star Wars um, in uh, regards to calling it the Resistance was fun, um, and I love Sabine and or slash Tiana. So getting to see more of her um, was great, but I did feel like there was a lot going on, and it it was a lot to keep up with, and some of the more uh, obvious callbacks were a little bit much for me but there were still some great things that were going on and uh it did advance the plot well so um i did enjoy it but uh there were just some things that were my favorite so um i am giving it a seven out of ten apples all right and i agree with one of you Ooh, anticipation. Ooh. I know. Ooh. And Girl. that person is uh, Jenna. What? Yeah, yeah, I'm giving it an eight. <laughs> I did enjoy the episode. I think the only thing that uh, 
made it sort of like drop a little bit was the um you know seattle underground slash mines uh parallel i felt like that was a bit too heavy-handed for the most part it was an exposition heavy episode and i didn't mind it i I thought it was fine in and of itself i I feel like we needed to learn a lot of uh, information about things that were going on in the past and how the power dynamic works in the present so i was here for that i found all of that really interesting i think the thing that really did give it to be quite honest a full point was the witch just because i thought the ending well let me rephrase that it wasn't just the witch it was that entire final ending scene where we saw Victoria with the coffin and the secret lair and the witch and all of the the uh, juicy information about what's going on in Hyperion Heights and what Belfry's trying to do in Hyperion Heights. Like, all of that was really interesting to me, and, and that probably gave the episode a full point higher than if that scene had not existed in the episode. So I probably would have given it a 7, but that scene kind of took it to an 8. And uh, the episode left me really intrigued with what's to come, so I'm curious to see what Belfry's going to do, what the witch is going to do, and um, I think it left our characters, for the most part, in a hopeful feel except for henry all of a sudden he's found his family so henry don't disappoint me so other than that or i should say or because of all of that uh i'm giving it a solid eight apples like juicy red apples so you would have given (laughs) the last scene like golden apple though right like was just judging the last scene yeah why not yeah (laughs) like the juiciest golden apple ever and I'd give it to the witch because she's hungry. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think they feed her. But, uh, yeah. I'd let her use the bathroom, too. Because I don't, you know. That's kind. That's very kind of you. Yeah. Very charitable, you both. Exactly. Thank you, Jeff. Y- y'all talked about the hair, so y'all are getting cursed. I'm just saying. Whatever. Oh my. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Storybrooke Weekly Mirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookeweeklymirror.tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, guys.
Good night. Night, everyone. Night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Storybook Weekly Mirror every Tuesday and Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Our Tuesday show is our episode discussion, and our Wednesday show is our special spoiler edition of Storybook Weekly Mirror. Good night.